Genesis chapter 21 is our portion this morning as we gather around the table of the Lord as our family here. This is the manna, the food that he has for us today. Genesis chapter 21 in verse 9 is where we'll begin our reading. The parallel commentary on the New Testament that we read in Galatians this morning. But we're going to discuss this morning a topic that is pertinent to every believer that is under the sound of my voice. The flesh and the spirit. Ishmael and Isaac. Verse 8, let's begin there in verse chapter 21 and verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast that same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which had been born unto Abraham, mocking. Did you catch that in the parallel scripture in Galatians? The Bible says he persecuted him. And so we could study those words, and I have not done that for this particular study to find their full meaning, but I think it was more than just sticking out your tongue and making eyes at. There was a a very big problem here. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. What a drastic thing to do. That touches the heartstring of every person under the sound of my voice. You must cast her out. And immediately we think how mean Sarah is, how heartless she is. After all, this is her doing, if you will. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad. By the way... Uh, Ishmael is a young man. He's in his later teens at this point. And because of thy bondwoman and all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. What Sarah said was the will of God. God says, Abraham, I know that this is a difficult thing. It's a hard thing for you to do. It's the hardest thing that you've done until now. But you must do it. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and gave in a bottle of water and gave it into Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down against him a good way off as it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of the the God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes and She saw a well of water. She was there by a well and didn't even see it in her grief and her anxiousness. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. Let us ask the Lord's help in understanding his word this morning. Again, our Father, we come very much aware of our frailty and our predisposition to view things in the wrong way. Our flesh is very strong, and we must put it down. 
Even when it comes to spiritual things, Lord, these things are spiritually discerned. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And I pray, Lord, that as your teacher and preacher this morning, that you'd help me, by your grace, to rightly divide your word and to give what we need for this hour. Sanctify your people, Lord, we pray, by your word. And I pray, oh, I beg that the lost would be shown their fearful condition outside of Christ. And may they flee to Him who is the Savior, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One thing is certain, a spiritual law clearly taught in God's Word is that principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 warns, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In the portion of Scripture before us this morning, the Holy Spirit paints for us a vivid picture in glaring colors of the conflict that goes on between the flesh and the Spirit, between our old sinful natures and the new regenerated spiritual nature. The unsaved person does not have this conflict going on within them. And it is a clear sign that a work of regeneration and grace has occurred in a heart where a person realizes and recognizes this horrible conflict that they find themselves in. A lost person may have twinges of guilt. Their conscience may bother them from time to time. But it is something of a totally different thing altogether than what a true believer experiences between the old nature and the new nature. If a believer does not recognize this principle and operate in obedience to the command of God to continually put off the old man and to put on the new man, the result will be absolutely disastrous. It is a cardinal principle in spiritual growth that we must understand And I marvel that so few seem to fully understand what this is about and what is at stake. Ishmael here represents the flesh. He is called that. He's referred to that by the Holy Spirit. And so we must realize that as we study this portion of Scripture. He stands for our old, unregenerate, sinful nature. When we talk about the new birth or salvation, the various terms that we use to describe it, One thing that we see very clearly is that the Lord does a new work. We become a new creature in Christ. Does not the Scripture tell us that? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a radical birth that takes place, as the Lord told Nicodemus, that you must be born again. And once that has taken place, there awakes within a person understandings and and things that, that they never saw or never understood before. Isaac represents the miraculous, born, spiritual, and new nature. And these two natures are within every single one of us who know Christ as Savior. If you're outside of Christ, your need is to have that new birth, that regenerating work, a miracle of the Holy Spirit, whereby you become a new believer in Christ. But the fact, as I've mentioned, that there is a conflict that we recognize there is a warfare going on between these two within us is a sign of true conversion, that we indeed do have a new nature, and the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling within us. 
Now, there are several key portions of Scripture that you need to mark, and if you don't look them up, you need to jot them down because this will greatly help you and me in our spiritual lives and in our growth in grace. I think of that classic portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 7 that's both tedious to read as it is. You can experience Paul as he's crying out in that testimony of someone who's been awakened by grace and yet this constant struggle that he sees within himself, those verses of crying out. And finally, in the end of chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes into the next chapter, but I think he ends, he answers this question. He says, Jesus Christ will, will deliver me. And in that glorious verse, in the first verse of the next chapter, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But you must go on and read the verses of chapter 8 of the book of Romans to understand the principle that we're discussing here. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh... But they that are after the Spirit, and again, that, that phrasing means born after. You're born in the flesh, a human being, it goes without saying. But what people maybe not understand is they're born with an unsaved, unregenerate nature that is depraved, that is, has a bent toward sin, a bent toward self, and a bent toward self-destruction. We're at enmity with God. We're at war with God when we're born of the first birth. But they that are after the Spirit, and again that word after, born after, uh, reproduced after the Spirit, do mind the things of the Spirit. And so he draws this clear dichotomy, this clear division between those who are categorized after the flesh and those who are after the Spirit. Verse 6 of Romans 8, 8 says, But to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. That's the end result. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or at war with God, against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You cannot reform the old nature. You cannot make the unsaved nature anything but what it is. You can't reform it. You can't sanctify it. The old nature is just that. It is old. And the Bible says here, it cannot, it's not subject. It will not be brought, brought, brought under the law of God. Even though a person may think they're earning salvation, they're living away by their own righteousness, they're working their way to heaven. The only person that's deceived is themselves and maybe two or three others, but they are not after the Spirit. They cannot be subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It is impossible for the old nature to be in absolute subjection to the law of God. So then they are, that are in the flesh, though they're, they're lost, they're outside of Christ, they're unregenerate. That's, that word in the flesh describes those who've been born once, but they've never had a work of grace in their heart, this new nature planted within their heart. And it says, the scripture says, they, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's not one thing an unsaved person can do that can please God. In fact, there are some script, verses of Scripture, the plowing of the wicked is abomination to the Lord. You read through the book of Proverbs, the, the prayer of the, the wicked, and it goes on and on and mentions those things that are absolute abomination to God. But ye are not in the flesh, verse 9, he's speaking to those who've been regenerated, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. He begins to 
reiterate this principle that it introduces in Romans chapter 6, that we are dead to sin. And then the question immediately arises, if we're dead to sin, where does all the trouble come from? Because somebody forgot to tell my old man that he's dead. The, the language that Paul uses there means that we're not under the authority of the old man, the old nature. It has no authority over us. We're not to be in submission to our old nature. We're to submit ourselves to the, the Spirit of God that abides within us and the, the spiritual resources that God gives to us. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of, of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. He speaks of that coming day of resurrection when our bodies will be glorified and we will be likened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, he encourages us, we are not debtors, we're debtors not to the flesh. You don't owe anything to the old man, old nature. His railings, his inclinations, his urgings may be there, but you're not subject to those things. You're not bound to him. He has no authority over you. In fact, his authority over you was crucified with Christ at Calvary, and now a new principle is within you by the Spirit of God. We're not debtors to the flesh. We owe nothing to the flesh. We're not slaves anymore to the flesh, but to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There are two types illustrated by in this story here in Genesis chapter 21. The scripture gives us types or illustrations so that we can see spiritual truths. And there's a dispensational teaching as we read the scripture there in Galatians chapter 4. Those who are born after the flesh are the spiritual descendants of Hagar. And they're trying to please God in their own efforts, trying to be saved through the impossibility of keeping the law, putting themselves under the law. It does not mean that the law is not true or right or rescinded, but it just means that the law cannot save. And uh, it is given to us to show us that we indeed are sinners in God's righteousness and that we're in need of a miraculous miracle to take place to please God and to be made new. The law speaks of God's covenant with Moses, a conditional covenant given to Moses on Mount Sinai in Arabia where Ishmael lived and centered in the earthly Jerusalem. You notice in that portion of Scripture that those who have been saved by God's grace through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, have His unconditional heavenly promises and look for a new Jerusalem, not the earthly Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem, who's built a city whose builder and maker is God. One day will come down from God, this glorious, uh, the temple of God, the, 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 the city of God that is described there in the book of Revelations. There, is a, there are those who have been saved by His grace through that his, his son, who are looking for the new Jerusalem. There is a dispensational teaching then, but there's also a typical teaching here that we must see, a type, which we've already alluded to and we'll focus on in our study this morning, the flesh versus the spirit. Do I have the right audience today? Do I have those who know what I'm talking about? Either you realize there's a conflict within you on your best day, and, uh, or either there are those of you who say, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor, but I would like to know uh, what, what you're talking about. And so it addresses, is for all of us here this morning. 
When Isaac was born, we see there in verse 9, that the Bible says Sarah saw, after he was weaned, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born into Abraham, mocking. When Isaac was born, the, the true nature of Ishmael was revealed, came to light. We have no indication that Ishmael acted out at all until this event took place. He may, for all we know, have been a very reticent young man, uh, loved in a very loving home, as unusual the circumstances were, as, 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 as unusual as they were, but we know there was a, a godly home even though there were grave problems here. And, and so it is, when we are born again by the Spirit of God, that event causes things to begin to, to set in motion. When we receive the new nature, our old nature, the flesh, comes out in the open, throws down the gauntlet, and I know that the, the testimony, if I were to let any of you give testimony today, you will say, it wasn't long. I thought when I came to Christ and repented of my sin and trusted Him and He did that work of grace in my heart, I thought everything would be okay. I would not have any more trouble with sin and that I would be, you know, on my way to, you know, glorification one day. And then, lo and behold, it, it, it seems like it was absolutely impossible. I'd get knocked down every time I turned around by these urges and by this old... Uh, conditions, my old mind, old thinking, it was even more horrible than before my salvation. And so it's troubling to some people to realize that this monster, if you will, is within. Well, Ishmael wakes up when Isaac is born. Abraham had two sons in his household. One was the product of the fleshly effort. It was fraught from the beginning. We've, we've looked at that in detail. One was of a, 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 a fleshly effort, a fleshly nature, and the other was a miraculous gift of God that only God could have wrought. It was a blessing. It was a wonderful thing, and it was a, a gift and a, a promise fulfilled, the result of a work of divine power. And so I want us to remember and to think this morning that within the believer there are two natures which are totally in opposition to each other. That's why you've got problems. <laughs> your biggest problem is the person you get ready every morning. Do you know that? It's not your coworker or your boss or your mate or your children or whoever else. Your biggest problem is not even Satan himself. Your biggest problem is the monster that lies within you that you deal with on a daily basis. And so there, these are two natures. They're in absolute opposition and they cannot coexist. One must rule over the other, and they cannot be reconciled, the old nature and the new nature. How many times will we read the testimonies and the biographies of people, and we, we can look at our own experience and those that we know, they become an absolutely different person. They were transformed by the grace of God. That, that's an accurate description, that new birth experience of being changed by God's grace. But we must, by God's instruction, the Bible tells us, to put off the old nature and to take on the new. One thing that, that must be made clear here, the flesh cannot please God. Did you know that? Unsaved man thinks they can. Ask Cain. Well, God ought to be impressed with me. After all, I'm, I'm very excellent in my field of service, and, and uh, I, can, I can do this as well as my brother. I like what I'm doing, and God ought to be proud of it, and I'll, I'll make him proud of it. I'll come to him in my own way, and that's the, the will of man, the old Adamic nature, the Ishmael part of us, if you will. True spirituality we see here in the story before us is not 
inherited. I'm going to say that again because I watch Christian parents and I see people ordering their homes as if it's a given that their children born of godly parents and around godly people and the things of the Lord will be saved just almost without any effort or anything whatsoever. But let me repeat what I just said. Spirituality, true spirituality is not inherited. The only thing you inherited from your parents is a sinful nature, a horrible, sinful nature. Sinfulness and the tendency to sin is what we inherit through our, from our parents. We do not inherit a spiritual DNA. But we do inherit a, spirit, a sinful and a sin-prone DNA so that we will live according to the flesh and by nature and not after the Spirit unless a miracle of regeneration and new birth takes place. Outward religious rites and deeds do nothing to change the old man. You can do every kind of spiritual, religious rites, uh, pomp and circumstance, confirming, christening, baptizing, sanitizing, whatever you want to do, and it will not change the old nature one minute, not one degree. A year earlier, I want to remind you that Ishmael had been circumcised. But physical surgery cannot change the inner heart of man. There's no religious rites or procedure that you can do that will change the old nature. What is needed is surgery, yes, but it's a circumcision of the soul. The Bible describes that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is alive. It is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. We cannot dissect the two, but the the Word of God can. And the joints and the marrow of the inner unseen man, just as your outer man has joints and marrow, the Word of God is so specific and so accurate, it can deal with all the, the workings of the inner man and is a discerner, a teller, a discriminator of the thoughts in the intents of the heart. That's where the surgery must take place. The outward ceremonies that Ishmael went through changed him not a bit. Did nothing to change his old sinful nature. I want to remind us this morning that Ishmael had been brought up in a godly home. He had been seen Abraham at prayer. I'm sure that he heard the interactions between the holy conversations that not only Sarah and, uh, and Abraham had in it family worship, but remember when the angelic visitors, the, the Lord and the angels came to their, their home and holy conversation where God shared with Abraham what he was about to do. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Ishmael was not party to or witness or knew about it. We know he would have known about it, maybe heard those groanings and travailings of his father as he interceded for lots and begging for Lot to be spared. None of that moved him whatsoever. We could say he was didn't have good parents. And often parents bear, bear a lot of guilt about their children's Actions and whether they're in the faith or not. And I realize it's a very touchy thing. I realize it's very heavy on every heart. 
And there ought to be a godly home. There ought to be family devotions and prayer. There ought to be corporate worship and all those things. I'm just pointing out. And, and we, we, God uses those things, the means of grace, to bring a person to repentance and faith. But being around godly people and going through religious ceremonies does not change a heart. Growing up in a Christian home and, and listening to holy conversations and knowing spiritual teaching doesn't change the heart in and of itself. Even his mother believed in the one true God. Hagar, I believe with all my heart, was a believer. But none of that meant anything to, to Ishmael. And, and instead of softening his heart, he became what Proverbs calls a scorner, a mocker of the things of God. He became settled and hardened in his position. And he began to take offense against God, not unlike Cain, not unlike others that we could look at in the Scripture. How dare you to, to deal with me in this way? And he became very hardened to the point that he became antagonistic toward the, the young child, Isaac. Mocked and made fun of the things of God. Oh, be careful. We teach here in our school about the, the people that you meet in the book of Proverbs. Every year I attempt to teach through that portion of Scripture. There are four people you meet there. The simple, the, the wise, the scorner, and the fool. And they're all, they're all interactive there and painted for us there. A scorner is in the, one of the most precarious and dangerous positions of all because they're in this settled animosity against God and will not be changed. And not only are they settled in, they make fun of all those who try to follow after righteousness. And as we compare Scripture with Scripture, Ishmael, if left in the home, no doubt would have done physical harm and damage to Isaac. He mocked, he rejected, and from beginning to end, the relationship with Hagar had been of the flesh. Isaac represents the new nature, the miraculous born, given by a work of the Spirit of God. Ishmael represents our old nature, mocking, warring against God, settled in our position. How dare you cross me, God? How dare you deny me what I want? I can live like I want to. And we raise our puny little fist at God. I will live what I want to and make my own decisions. It's within every one of us by nature. And it must be conquered by work of grace. The flesh profiteth nothing. Jesus declares in John 6 verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. We use this verse when we're speaking of regeneration. It is the spirit that makes alive or gives spiritual life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But they, there are some of you that believe not. Our Lord so boldly told his audience, and most of these were teachers of the word of God. Seminary professors, if you will. Most of you do not believe, he said. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not. And who should betray him? And he said, Therefore I say unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And from that time, many of his disciples, or so-called disciples, went back and walked and followed him and walked with him no more. The lost person must realize that he is controlled by his natural sinful nature. And cannot by human reformation, joining church, joining anything, learning anything, uh, change his nature. Now, if you're outside of Christ today, 
And I know when you teach along these lines, it presents the clear teachings of the Scripture that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And there's only one way to heaven. There are not many roads to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I would say you should come to church. My recommendation to anyone outside of Christ is to place yourself under the preaching of the gospel, the true gospel, because it is the means of conversion. And by the foolishness of preaching, God has chosen to save them that believe. And listen and read the scriptures and call out to God and ask Him to show you the things of the, of the Spirit. If you are halting between two opinions, and if you realize you're in that situation where you just don't know, Use all the divine means that God has given. If there's any answer at all to your situation, it will be found in His Word. I just want you to know that just listening to His Word and coming to church and going through religious ceremonies will not make you a Christian. does not reform you. There must be a renewing of the, by the Holy Spirit where we realize our lost condition and being regenerated by the Spirit of God. And then the person who has been, you must understand that there's a warfare going on between these two natures. The Bible verses that talk about it are so very graphic. It leaves it no, no, uh, nothing to the imagination. Galatians chapter 5 is the chapter over from where we read this morning. In verse 16 tells us, Paul says, This I say, then walk or conduct your lives in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so he's speaking to people who are to order their lives within the realm of the Holy Spirit, and they would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, we see that, that those warring natures clearly, clearly taught there. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the of flesh are manifest. They're open. Someone may say, well, how would I know what the works of the flesh are? I can't imagine that you don't know, but the Bible is very clear so that none of us can miss it. You know deep in your heart those movements of sins, those imaginations, those thoughts and deeds and things that might would be done if you could get by with it. All that horrible part of us that we all know is there. But he clearly says the works of the flesh are open. They're clear, manifest. Which are these? And he begins to list a very graphic and sordid list of things that define the old nature. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, just abandonment to those things, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the past, that they which do, and that word means practice, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives a clear-cut opposition to that. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in a regenerated heart, is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance or self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and lust. And that's an ongoing crucifixion. Paul says, I die daily. And we must mortify these things daily. If we live in the Spirit, if we conduct our lives under the, the realm of the Spirit, let us then walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous 
of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And again, let me emphasize, the new birth isn't obtained by doing something, by undergoing something. If that were the case, Ishmael would have been saved. The new nature is not improving the old nature, but receiving an absolute new nature that is in absolute opposition to the old nature. And the receiving of the new nature does not in any way improve the old nature. That's where the conflict is. That old part of us that reveled in sin, enjoyed sin, while it does not have authority over us, and while we do not have to submit to its requests and behests and demandings, it has never been improved and never will be improved until your eyes awake and see Jesus in all of His glory. And yet, there is victory in Jesus Christ. Some, when they hear this, say, well, if the old nature is never improved, and there's this warfare going on, and I've not been very successful in putting down one and putting on the other. I'm just going to give up and give in, as so many people seem to do. But that's not the case. That's not what we're told to do. On top of that, the antagonism unknown before salvation is raging between these two natures. The carnal mind is at warfare, as we said, with God and the law of God. Paul says, it is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. Do whatever you will. The old nature is still sinful flesh. It was the birth of Isaac that showed the truth about Ishmael. Nothing is told us, of, as I've mentioned, of Ishmael's life before this event takes place. But as soon as the miraculous child of promise appears, the warfare begins. Ishmael may have been very quiet until Isaac was born. He may have not given any trouble whatsoever, but as soon as the new birth took place, the older, untamable, old nature fully comes out into open. Many of you understand that. When you came to Christ and that glorious work of grace transpired in your heart, you were alarmed that the old nature was still there and raised his ugly head and, and made behests and, and tried to, to drag you down. It isn't until we receive a new nature that we discover what our old nature is really like. We pamper and brag on and think our, uh, ourselves are great until we come to Christ and grace shows us what we've been saved from, what we would be if left to ourselves. Paul, as I've mentioned, describes that conflict in Romans chapter 7. It isn't until we're born again that we realize that in our flesh dwells no good thing. If we could see inside each other's hearts right now, each other's hearts and minds right now, we'd be absolutely appalled. What a revelation it is. No good thing dwells within us. How humbling that is to learn what is to be done. Preacher, you brought us to this alarming realization and you just awaken what we know is to be the truth. What are we to do? Ishmael must be cast out. It's a very difficult thing to do. We like ourselves, by the way. No man is ever cruel to himself, but nourishes himself and pampers himself. And can you imagine the day that Sarah came and said, this bondwoman and her child must be cast out? I can only imagine the conversation in that home, in that tent. And Abraham pled with Sarah to be more reasonable. And you're being jealous. And all the things that only a husband and wife can discuss, I'm sure it went on 
between Abraham and Sarah. But but Sarah was resolute. And humanly speaking, we say, well, of course, that's her child. The, the, the jealousy, we can understand all of that. But this is the Word of God. This isn't just a biography. It's not just a, a narrative that somebody wrote. And you must never forget that when you're dealing with the Scripture. You can side with Hagar if you want to, but you're siding against the will of God and with the flesh. As, as far it may be removed from our thinking of fairness and justice and all those things. I read the whole portion of Scripture because God did what was right. And he's a righteous judge, isn't he? And He will deal with all that. But for the picture before us now, as far as the old nature and the new nature, what must be done? Ishmael must be cast out. Verse 11 tells us the sad situation that all of us feel when we realize that and what has to be done to those things we hold dear to, those sins we love. That uh, things that we've made excuse for and, 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 and like everybody, we're just human beings and everybody's like this and all those things. It, the thing, verse 11, was very grievous in Abraham's sight. Because of his son. Let me ask you this morning, what are we to do with the old nature? What am I to do with... And I'll just, I'll just use myself here publicly since I am the one doing the talking. What is Chris Lamb to do with Chris Lamb? Well, you say, Brother Lamb, that's an impossible thing. You're, you're talking in, in a realm... You, you, you're, yourself is yourself. You can't cast it out. And, and those... Desires and those old inclinations are so strong. You, 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 can't be, you can't be serious. Hagar must be cast out. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 21 gives us added information along this line. If so be that ye have heard him, heard Christ, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ, that ye put off, could say cast out, Concerning the former way of life, the manner of living, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. If we could see ourselves as God sees ourselves, and only through grace can we do that. And I don't mean to be insensitive here with those who are going through the loss of a loved one, but I must use biblical descriptions and language. When he's describing there the corrupt body of sin as a rotting corpse... There's nothing lovely about that. It must be dealt with. And Paul, in that Romans chapter 7, agonizes with this body of sin. What am I to do? Something that is very dear, it has been very dear, in siding with self against self. The old man is corrupt according to deceitful lust and must be constantly renewed by the spirit of your mind. That's, That's where we must dwell. That's where the victory is won. There must be an ongoing and constant renewal of the, the mind, the inner man. And that the mind stands for that all the unseen part of you, the hidden man of the heart, the mind and the soul, the spirit. And that you put on the new man. You, whatever you have on today, you made deliberate choice to put it on. You had a decision and you went through the effort of, of putting it on. And he uses this very practical Language for us to see. We have to literally and decisively put off the old man, the old nature. He doesn't go away. He doesn't stop screaming. He doesn't say, notice me, do what I say. He's a spoiled brat. 
that will rule and ruin you if you don't put Him in His place. And He must be put off. And we have mighty resources to do it. God has not left us. Satan wants to whisper and say, well, that can't be done. This is not reasonable. Have you had much success in it? And he points to our failures. After all, he is what? The accuser of the brethren. And all he can do is drag up old stuff. But this is what Jesus Christ says for us. Put off and constantly renew the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which God, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then I'm just kind of put in my own language here, if you will, that list of things that he says to do. Now, there are those who, under the sound of my voice, who would say that sanctification is not a result of things you do. You could not save yourself and you cannot sanctify yourself. But when the Scripture tells us to do certain things and we're energized by the Holy Spirit to do them, there is a part for us. There is a working out for us to do the salvation that's been worked within us. There is a, an exercising ourselves unto godliness. There is a holy engagement in this spiritual warfare. Why then is the, the uh, uh, armor relayed to us and the, the shield of faith which will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked when all these things are pointed out to us for us to use in this effort? And when he tells us to put on the new man, he describes it to us. And some would say, well, that's just legalism. That's just works. No, in the spirit, we can do nothing in the flesh. But because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we can consciously submit to him. Lord, I say no to myself. I pray that you would help me to say no to myself. You said that I have victory already. Romans chapter 6, sin shall not have dominion over you. But what does that look like on Monday morning when your boss just smarts off to you or, or your coworker just brings a stack of stuff this thick and walks off and says, there, have a good day. What do you do when you, that person steals your parking place and they know it's your parking place and you think or somebody keys your car and I could go, well, I'm, I'm trying to rile you up here and I can see that some of you are getting there. When, you have, when, when, you, when he gets down where the rubber meets the road and your old nature comes up and gives you some things to do and say and, and uh, to illustrate with. Put away lying. If he tells us to put away lying, what are we to do? We're not to lie. We're not to ever not tell the truth. You see, those things give Satan an inroad. He'll later say, neither give place to the devil. And he'll just use it and get a hook in. And once he gets a hook in, the next thing you know, all kinds of immorality and things are taking place. Put away lying. Speak the truth to every man. Don't let anger control you. Settle things quickly. Let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give Satan one inch of territory in your life. We, so, we, we uh, willingly give him all kinds of stuff through the media. and all. We, there's no effort at all. Just come on in. It's like opening the sewers of, of hell and just flood our house with it. But he says don't even give, an, don't give place, territory to the, the devil. Don't steal, but what work? You may say, oh, this is so you know, practical, Pastor. That's what the Scripture is. If we're busy doing what God tells us to do, we won't have a whole lot of time to do the, the things that the flesh is screaming at us to do. Don't steal, but rather work. The idle mind, my grandmother taught me, is a devil's workshop. Didn't yours teach you that? Don't let any, anything corrupt come out of your mouth. If he tells us not to do that, then we have the ability not to let anything corrupt come out of our mouth. Practice speech that builds up other people. Don't be cutting and sarcastic and critical. Minister grace in your speech to those you talk to. Verse 30 of that portion of Scripture. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. And be ye kind one to another. Do you see the negatives and the positives? Don't do this, but do this. Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The Bible says in verse 11, this is not an easy thing. We see in our text, this thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight. So often when people are awakened to the teaching of the old nature and the new nature, as Paul is there in Romans chapter 7, they are at a point of despair. And they want some other religious experience. And they go from you know meeting to meeting and seminar to seminar and from Bible study to Bible study to find the secret that will take this all away. This panacea, this new thing to join this or do that or have this experience. I need a, another experience, something else. And all the while the scripture says, you are complete in Christ. You're not under sin. You're free from all of that. So what is it? For one thing, our flesh rebels against putting off the old man and putting on the new. And we want an emotional high. We want to fix. We want to feel spiritual, whatever that is. You know, We want to feel good about it all. And the Holy Spirit, all He does is points us to the cross. That's where your salvation was purchased. That's where your sanctification is purchased. And our Lord said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily. We could say hourly, moment by moment. Deny yourself. Is that not what Jesus said? And follow me. We want an experience. We want a feel-good capsule. And our Lord takes us to Calvary. A place of sacrifice and death. Your old man must be put to death. Rendered inoperative. Not just once. But over and over and over. This is not easy. It's a very grievous thing in your sight. You aside with your old nature against yourself in this process. There is much... Working out before the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. And it's a holy moment-by-moment dependence on the Holy Spirit of God. Because remember, the flesh profiteth what? Nothing. This is all done in the surrender to the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us. The Bible says, As many as received Him, to them gave He what? The power. To become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on His name, which were born not of the will of the flesh, but of the Spirit. This begins when you receive Christ in simple faith as Lord and Savior. But it doesn't stop there, does it? That is the beginning of the process that this Bible calls sanctification, the putting off of sin, the putting on of Christ. Saying no to the old nature and yes to the new nature. Now I'll tell you, your flesh will give you every excuse why it's impossible. And Satan and the world, the flesh and the devil will help you say it's impossible. And you can live a defeated, uh, sidelined Christian life. Or you can say by the grace of God, I will live 
in submission to the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within me. And I will say yes to his, his promptings and his leadings and his guidings. I will say no to Chris Lamb. I will put him in his place. I will not let him have full reign. I will not give in to his way of doing things. I will submit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what? It will be painful. It will not be done without tears and self-denials. And many, many, many times of coming before the Lord and say, Lord, crucify me afresh, afresh and anew. I am yours and you are mine. This warfare, by the way, will not be over until you fall asleep in Jesus and wake into his likeness. And then these vile bodies, then the scriptures say these vile bodies and all they represent will totally and forever be done with. Until then, there is a struggle. But it's a warfare that can be accomplished through the heavenly and the spiritual resources that God has given. Let's just review those. What are they? The Word of God, which has already this morning unveiled these things to us. And it's a mighty, powerful... You were, you were born again by this Word of God, and you will be sanctified by it. You're clinging to the Word that I've spoken to you. You have prayer. You can talk to the Creator of the universe and tell Him your struggles and cry out to Him for help. And you have the indwelling Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you if you will recognize Him and submit yourself to Him. Charles Wesley wrote, I want a principle within of jealous, godly fear a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. I want the first approach to feel of pride or fond desire to catch the wandering of my will and quench that kindling fire. That I from thee no more may part, no more thy goodness grieve, the filial awe, the fleshly heart, the tender conscience give. Quick as the apple of an eye, O God, my conscience make. Awake my soul when sin is nigh and keep it still awake. If to the right or left I stray, that moment, Lord, reprove, and let me weep my life away for having grieved thy love. Oh, may the least omission pain my well-instructed soul and drive me to the blood again, which makes the wounded whole. May the Holy Spirit of God bless his word to our heart this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, to that one who is crying out, save me. Lord, I need to be saved from my sin and myself. I pray that you would answer them by your Spirit's work. You said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that in this place, and those who hear this word, and those who need the word of grace, would you help them to see that to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. If you need a Savior, would you go to Him just now and tell Him of your great need? He will save you and make you His own. And then this warfare that I've described, some may say, well, preacher, who would want to enlist and become a new creature in Christ only to have this warfare constantly going on? But we come under the authority of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, we submit to you today, those of us who know you as Savior. May we be renewed in our efforts to obey you and to please you and to live a godly and holy life in the realm of the Spirit and with the, the teaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' precious name.